Prologue. The day was grey and bitter cold, and the dogs would not take the sun. The old black beach had taken one sniff at the beer off. I skulked back to the park with her tail between her legs. The dogs huddled together miserably on the river bank as the wind snapped at them. Chat fell in two, biting throughout the layers of black wool and boiled litter. It was too bloody cold for man or beast, but here they were. His mouth twisted and he could almost feel the boils that covered his cheeks and neck, growing redder and angry. I should be safe back at the wall, tending the booty ribbons and making fires for old Master Emmon. It was the bastard John Snow who had taken that from him, him and his fat friend Sam Tarby. It was their fault he was here, freezing his booty balls off with a pack of elms deep in the elm-third forest. Seven hells. He gave the lashes hard junk to get the dog's attention. Trust you bastards, that's a bare print you want some meat or no? Find. But the hounds only added closer whining. Chuck's up his short lash above their heads, and the black bitches nodded at him. Dog meat would taste as good as there. He warned her, his breath frosting with every word. Like the sister man stood with his arms crossed over his chest and his hands tucked up into his armpits. He wore black wool robes, but he was always uh, complaining how his fingers were frozen. It's too bloody cold to hunt, he said. Bugger. This bear is not worth freezing over. We can go back empty and lock from the small pole who had brown whiskers that cover most of his face. The lock commander wouldn't like that. There was ice under the big man's squashed pook nose where his snot had frozen. A huge hand in a thick full glove clenched tight round the shaft of a spear. Back at that old bear, too, said the sister man, a thin man with sharp features and nervous eyes. Mama will be dead before they break. Remember, who cares what he likes? A small pal blinked his black little eyes. Maybe he had forgotten. Chet thought he was stupid enough to forget most anything. Why do we have to kill the old bear? Why don't we just go off and let him be? You think he'll let us be? says Sir Lark. He'll aunt us down. You want to be hunted, you great matoned. No, said Smallful. I don't want that. I don't. So, you kill him, said Lark. Yes, huge man stamped the butt of his pair on the frozen river bank. I will, if she didn't hunt us. The sister man took his hands from his armpits and turned to chat. We need to kill all the officers, I say. Chet was sick of hearing it. We've been over this. The old bear dies, and Blaine from the shadow tower grabs and I then as well they ill luck for drawing the watch. Dawan and Manan for the tracking and Sir Piggy for the ravens.
That's all. We keep them quiet while they sleep. One scream and we are warm food, every one of us. His boys were red with rage. Just do your bit and see that your cousins do theirs. And Paul, try and remember, it's third watch, not second. Third watch, the big man said, threw out hair and frozen snot. Me and the soft food, I remember, Chad. The moon would be black tonight and they had checkered their watches so as to have eyed of their own standing sentry with two more guarding the horses. I it wasn't going to get much cheaper than that. Besides the wildings could be upon them any day now. That meant to be well away from here before that happened. He meant life to live. Three hundred sworn brothers of the Knights which had ridden north, two hundred from Castle Black and not another hundred from the Shadow Tower. It was the biggest ranking in living memory, near a third of the watch strength. They meant to find Ben Stark, Sarah Weimar Royce and the other rangers who had gone missing and discover why the Weldings were leaving their villages. But they were no closer to Stark and Royce than when they left the war, but they learned where all the wildings had gone, up into the icy ice of the gods forsaken for strength. They could squat up there till the end of time and it wouldn't prick Chet's boils known. But no, no, but no, they were coming down, down the midwater. Chet raised his eyes and there it was, the river stony banks were veered by ice. It's a pale milky water flowing endlessly down out of the four strands, and now Mel's rudder and his wildings were flowing down the same way. Florence Morewood had returned in a later three days past, while he was telling the old bear what his scouts had seen. His men catch white eye to all the rest of them. They are still well up the food hills, but they are coming. Ked said, warming his hands over the fire, Amma, the dog's head as the van, the poxy pitch. Cody crept up on her camp and saw her playing by the fire. That fool Tambrion wanted to pick her off with an arrow, but Smallwood had better sense. Chet spat. How many were there? Could you tell? Many and more. Twenty, thirty thousand, we didn't stay to count. Alma had five hundred in the van, everyone a horse. The men around the foyer exchanged uneasy looks. It was a real thing to find even a dozen mounted wildings and five hundred. Smallwood sent the banner enemy wide around the van to catch a peek at the main booty. Cat went on, there was no hand of them. They are moving slow as a frozen river, four or five miles a day, but they don't look like they need to go back to their villages neither. More and off were women and the children, and they were driving their animals before them, guts, sheep, even roaches, dragons, sledges. They loaded up with bales of fur and sides of meat, pieces of chickens, butter churns, and spinning wheels, every darn thing they owned. The mules and garons was so eagerly laden, you would think their backs would break. The women as well. And they followed the milk water, like the sister man asked. I said so, I didn't I? 
The meek water would take them past the feast of the first man, the ancient rim fort where the knights which had made its camp. Any man with a thimble of sense could see that it was time to pull up stakes and fall back on the wall. The old bear had strengthened the fist with spikes and pizza and the cat tops, but against such a host all that was pointless. If they stayed here they would be engulfed and overwhelmed. And foreign and small who wanted to attack. Sweet Donna ear was quiet to Sir Malador Lock, and the night before Lasma would had come to Lock's tent. Sir Malador had been of the same mind as all Sir Martin Withers. Virgin a traitor on the war, but Smallwood wanted to convince him otherwise. This came beyond the war. We never look for us so far north, sweet Donna reported him saying, and this great host of his is a shambling horde, full of useless mouths who won't know what end of a sword to hold. One blow will take all the fight out of them and send them holding back to their ovals for another fifty years, three hundred against thirty thousand. Chet called that rank madness, and what was madder still was that Sir Balder had been persuaded, and the two of them together were on the point of persuading the old bear. If we wait too long, this chance may be lost, never to come again. Smallwood was saying to anyone who would listen, again that Sir Otten White uh, said, We are the shield that guards the realms of men. You do not throw away your shield for no good purpose. But to that, Torrance Norwood said, In a sword fight, a man's surest defense is the swift stroke that slays his foe, not framing behind a shield. Neither Smallwood nor others had the command, though Lord Mormont did, and Mormont was waiting for his other scouts, for German Buckwell and the man who had climbed the giant stair, and for Corian Alphand and John Snow, who had gone to probe the Skirling Pass. Skirling! Backwell and the off and were late in returning, though that most like chat picture John Snow lying blue and frozen on some black mountain top with a wilding spear up his boss's ass. Uh, the thought made him smile. I hope they kill this bloody wolf as well. There's no bear here, he decided abruptly. Just an old print, that's all. Back to the feast. The dogs almost janked him off his feet, as eager to get back as he was. Maybe they thought they were going to get fat. Chet had to laugh. He hadn't fed them for three days now to turn them mean and angry. Tonight, before sleeping off into the dark, he to turn them loose among the horse lines after sweet Donnell Hill and the club foot car cut the tethers. They'll have snarling hounds and panicked horses all over the feast, running throughout fires, jumping the ring wall and trembling down tents. With all the confusion, it might be hours before anyone noticed that fourteen brothers were missing. Lark had wanted to bring in twice that number, but what could you expect from some stupid fish-breath system? Whisper a word in the wrong ear, and before you knew it, you'd be shorter ahead. 
No, fourteen was a good number, enough to do what needed doing, but not so many that they couldn't keep the secret. Chet had recruited most of them himself. Small Paul was one of his. The strongest man on the wall, even if he was lower than a dead snail, he'd once broken a wild in back with a huge. They had Dirk as well. Name the four is favorite weapon and the little grey man, the border's coarse soft food who would rape a hundred women in his yacht, and like the two boss how known had ever seen nor heard him until he showed it up inside them. The plan was a chance. He was the clever one. He'd been a steward to old Master Hammond for four good years before that Bastard John Snow had done him out so his job could be handed to his fat pig of a friend. When he killed Sam Tarly tonight, he planned to whisper, Give my love to Lars Snow, right in his air, before his last serpigy's truth opened to let the blood come bubbling out throughout all those layers of suet. Chat you, the ravens, so he wouldn't have no trouble there, no more than he would with Tarly. One touch of the night and the and that craven would piss his pants and start blubbering for his life. Let him beg, it won't do him no good. After he opened his throat, he'd open the cages and shoo the birds away, so no messages reached the wall. Soft foot and small paw would kill the old bear, Dirk would do blame, and Lark and his cousins would silence Bannon and old the wind to keep them from sniffing after the trail. They'd been catching food for a fortnight, and sweet Donna and Kapuka would have the horses ready. With a moment that command would pass to Sir Otin, white as an old dumb man and failing. He'd be running for the war before sundown, and he won't waste no man sending them after us neither. The dogs pulled at him as they made their way throughout the trees. Chet could see the fist punching its way up throughout the green. It was so dark that the old bear had torches lit a great circle of them burning all along the ringing wall that crowned the top of the steep stony hill. The three of them waited across a brook. The water was icy cold and the patches of ice were spreading across its surface. I'm going to make for the coast. That the system confided me and my cousins will build as a boat sail back home to sisters. And at home they know you for the search and loop off your full heads, thought that. There was no living the night's watch once you said your words. Anywhere in the seven kingdoms, they'd take you and kill you. Although the fund now, he was taken talking about sailing back to Tyrosh, where he came, men didn't lose the end for a bit of honest thievery, nor get sent off to freeze their life away for being found in bed with some knight's wife. Chet had waited going with them, but he didn't speak their wet girly tongue, and what could he do in a Tyrosh? He had no trait to speak of growing up in Exmire. His father had spent his life grabbing in other men's fields and collecting leeches. He'd stripped down there, but he 
for a thick leather cloud and go wading in the murky waters. When he climbed out, he'd be covered from nipple to ankle. Sometimes he made chat up to the leeches of one head attached itself to his palm once and he smashed it against a wall in revulsion. His father beat him bloody for that. The master's uh, bought leeches uh, at twelve for a penny. That could go on if he liked, and the damn Tairoshi too, but not yet. If he never saw Ags more again, it would be too. Ludisa. He had liked the look of Crestle's keep himself. Crestle lived high his lord there, so why shouldn't he do the same? That would be a laugh. Chatter the Lichman sign aloud with the keep. His banner could be a dozen leeches or a field of pink. But why stop at lord? Maybe he should be a king. Nasrotter sought out a crow. I could be a king, same as him, and have me some wives. Cruster had nineteen, not even counting the young ones, the daughters he hadn't gotten around to bedding yet. Half them wives were as old and ugly as Cruster, but that didn't matter. The old ones Chad could put to work cooking and cleaning for him, pulling carrots and sloping pigs, while the young ones warmed his bed and bore his children. Cruster wouldn't object. Not one small poor gave him a hug. The only woman Chad had ever known were the wars he'd bought in Moore's town when he'd been younger. The village girls took a look at his face with its boys and its when, and turned away sickened. The worst was that slaughter Bessa. Bessa. She'd spread her legs for every boy in Alexandria, so he'd figured why not him too. He even spent morning picking wildflowers when he heard she liked them, but she just laughed in his face and told him she'd crawl in a bed with his father's leeches before she'd crawl in one with him. She stopped laughing when he put his knife in her. That was sweet, the look on her face. So he pulled the knife out and put it in it again. When they caught him down near seven streams, old Lord Walder, for he hadn't even bothered to come himself to do the judging, he'd sent one of his bastards that Walder rivers and the next thing. Next thing. Uh, Chet had known he was walking to the wall with that fool smelling back uh, David Goran to pay for his one sweet moment they took his whole life. But now he meant to take it back and cross the woman too. That twister old Wylian has the right of it. If you want a woman to wife, you take her and none of these giving her flowers so that maybe she don't notice your bloody boys. Chet didn't mean to make that mistake again. It would work, he promised himself for the hundredth time, so long as we get awake here. Serotin would strike south for the Shadow Tower, the shortest way to the wall. 
He won't bother with us, not wilders. All he'll want is to get back wall. Terence Smallwood now. He'd want to press on with the attack. But Sir Otten's caution ran too deep and he was a senior. It won't matter anyhow. Once we are gone, Smallwood can attack anyone he likes. What do we care? If none of them even returns to the wall, no one will ever come looking for us. They think we died with the rest. That was a new thought, and for a moment it tempted him. But they would need to kill Sir Otten and Sir Mulder Locke as well to give Smallwood the command. And both of them were well attended day and night. No, the risk was too great. Chat the small boy as they tried. Dreaded along a stony game trail throughout sentinels and soldiers' opinions. What about the bird? What about the bird? The last thing he needed now was some mutton head going on about the bird. The old bear's ribbon. Small post said, If we kill him, who's going to feed his bird? Who bloody well cares? Kill the bird too, if you like. I don't want to hurt no bird, the big man said, but that's not a talking bird. What if it tells what we did? Learn the system and last. Small paw, thick as a castle, a castle, or You shut up with that, says Small paw dangerously. For said shall before the big man got too angry. When they find the old man lying in a pool of blue with his horse slip, they won't need no bird to tell them someone killed him. Small Paul chewed on that moment, that's true. He allowed, can I keep the bird? And then I like that bird. He's yours, said Chat, just to shut him up. We can always eat him if we get hungry. After a lark, Small Paul clouded up again. Best not try and eat my bird, Lark. Best not. Chat could hear voices drifting throughout the trees. Those your bloody mouths, both of you. We are almost to the feast. They emerged near the west, the face of the hill, and walked round south where the slope was gentler. Near the edge of the forest, a dozen men were taking archery practice. They had curved outlines on the trunks of trees and were losing shots of them. Look, said Luck, a peak with a bow. Sure enough, the nearest bowman was Sir Piggy himself, the fat boy who had stolen his place with his master Haman. Just the sight of small wall tally filled him with anger, still worrying for Master Haman had been as good a life as he'd ever known. The old blind man was undemanding, and the Clyders had taken care of most of his wants anyway. Chatter that is well easy, cleaning the rookery, a few fires to build, a few meals to fetch, and Aemon never once hit him. Thinks he can just walk in and shove me out, on account of being hardborn and knowing how to read. Might be I'll ask him to read my knife before I open his throat with it. You go on. He told the others, I want to watch this. The dogs were pulling and shoes to go with them, to the food they thought would be waiting at the top. Chet kicked the beach with the toe of his boot and that settled them down some. 
He watched from the trees as the fat boy wrestled with a long bow. As tall as he was, his red moon face screwed up with concentration. Three arrows stood in the ground before him. Tully knocked Andrew, held draw a long moment as he tried to aim and let fly. The shaft vanished into the journey. Chet laughed loudly, a snort of sweet disgust. We'll never find that one, and I'll be blamed, announced the head toilet, the dull gray-haired squad. Everyone called the Roro's head. Nothing ever goes missing that day. Don't look at me. Ever since that time, I lost my horse. As if that could be helped. It was white and it was snowing. What did they expect? The wind took that one, said Green, another friend of Lord's nose. Try to hold the bow steady, Sam. It's heavy, the fat boy complained, but he pulled the second arrow all the same. This one went high, sailing throughout the branches ten feet above the target. I believe you knocked a leaf off that tree, said the Lorazard, for he's falling fast enough. There's no need to help it, he sighed, and we all know what follows for. God's about I am called. Should the last arrows more I believe my tongue is freezing to the roof of my mouth. Sir Piki lowered the bow and shot, um, though he was going to start bowling. It's too hard. Notch, draw, and lose, said Grand. Go on. Dutiful, the fat boy flanked his final arrow from the earth, notched it to his long bow, drew and released. He did it quickly without squinting along the shaft, painstakingly. And as he had the first two times, the arrow struck the charcoal, outlying low in the chest and a hog quivering. I hit him, Sarpig sounded shocked. Green, did you see? At Luke, I hit him. Put it between his ribs, I'd say, said Grant. Did I kill him? The fat boy wanted to know. Tullis shrugged, might have punctured lung if he had lung. Most trees don't, as a rule. He took the bow from Sam's hand. I've seen worse shots, though. Ah, yeah, and made a few. Serpy was beaming. To look at him, you'd think he'd actually done something. But when he saw Chuck and the dogs, his mind curled up and died squeaking. Hit a tree, Chet said. Let's see how you shoot one. It's Manstrader's land. Lads, they won't stand there with their arms out and their leaves rustling. Uh, oh no, they come cry as you scream in your face, and I bet you'll piece those pictures. One oh down will plant his axe right between those little pea eyes. The last thing you hear will be the thunk it marks when it bites into your skull. Ah uh, yeah. The fat boy was shaking. The loser had put a hand on his shirt. Brother, he said solemnly, just because it happened that way for you doesn't mean someone will suffer the same. What are you talking about, Let? The axe that 
fit your skull? Is it true that half your weights lier out on the ground and your dogs are them? The big loud grin laughed and even small well Tally managed a weak little smile. Chat kicked the nearest dog and cut on the lashes and started up the hill. Smile all you want, Sir Piggy. Well, we'll see all last night. He only wished he had time to kill Tlet as well. Gloomy horse faced the fool, that's what he is. The climb was steep, even on this side of the first, which had the gentle slope. Part way up, the dogs started backing and pulling at him, figuring that they'd get fat soon. He gave them a taste of his boot instead, and a crack of the whip for the big ugly one that snapped at him. Once they were tied up, he went to report. The prints were there like a giant sad, but the dogs wouldn't track. He told Mormont in front of his big black tent, down by the river like that could be old prince, a pity. Lord Commander Mormont had a bald head and a great shaggy grey beard, and suddenly as tired as he looked. We might all have been better for a bit of fresh meat, the ribbon on his shoulder, opened his head and echoed, meat, meat, meat. We couldn't cook the bloody dogs, Chet thought, but he kept his mouth shut until the old bear sent him on his way. And uh, that's uh, the last time I need to bow my head to that one, he thought uh, to himself with satisfaction. It seemed to him that it was uh, growing even colder, which he would have sworn was impossible. The dogs huddled together miserably in the heart-frozen mud, and Chet was half-tempted to crawl in with them. Instead, he wrapped a black wool scarf round the lower part of his face, leaving a sleep for his mouth between his wings. It was warm if he kept moving, he found, so he made a slow circuit of the perimeter with a word of a soul leaf, sharing a chew or two with the black brothers on guard and hearing what they had to say. None of the men on the day, on the day watch were part of his scheme, even so he figured it was good to have some sense of what they had, were thinking. Mostly what they were thinking was that it was bloody cold, the wind was rising as the shadow lengthened, it made a high thin sound as it shivered throughout the stones of the ring wall. I hate that sound, little John said. It sounded like a babe in the brush, whining away for me. When he finished the circuit and returned to the docks, he found Lark waiting for him. The officers are in the old bear's tent again, talking something fires. That's what they do, said Chet. They are I born all but Blaine. They get drunk on wars instead of wine. Lark the closer. Cheese for wits keeping coin about the bird. He warned, glancing about to make certain no one was close. Now he's asking if we catch any seed for the damn thing. It's a raven, said Chat. It eats corpses. 
Dark cleaned is uh, might be or yours. It seemed to chat that they needed to be the big man more than they needed luck. Stop fretting about small Paul. You do your part. He'll do his. Twilight was creeping throughout the woods by the time he arrived in top of the system and sat down to hedge his wall. It was bloody hard work with his gloves on, but he wasn't about to take them off. Cold as it was, any food that touched a steel with a bare hand was going to lose a patch of skin. The dogs whimpered when the sun went down. He gave them water and curses. I found night more, and you can find your own feast. But then he could smell supper. That when, when holding forth at the cook fires, Chat got his heel of eld bread and a bowl of bean and bacon sap from hake to cook. The woods to sun and the old forest was saying, No frogs near that river, no oars in the dark. I never heard, no did a wood than this. Them teeth of yours sound pretty, Dad, said Hake. That one clicked his wooden teeth. No wolves neither. There was before, but no more. We are where they go, you figure. Some place warm, said Chat. Of the dozen old brothers who sat by the fire for where he is, he gave each one a hard squinty look as he ate. To see if any showed signs of breaking, Dirk seemed calm enough, sitting silent, sharpening his blade the way he did every night. As sweet Donald Hill was all easy japes, yet white teeth and fat red lips and yellow locks that he wore in an artful tumble about his shoulders, and he claimed to be the bastard of some Lannister. Maybe he was at that. Chet had no use for pretty boys, nor for bastards neither, but sweet Donald seemed like all his own. He was uh, less certain about the Forster, the brothers called Sword, more for his snoring than for anything to do with the trees. Uh, just uh, now he looked so restless he might never snow again, and the uh, muslin was worse. Chet could see sweat trickling down his face despite the frigid wind. The bit of moisture speckled in the firelight like so many little wet jars. Maslin wasn't eating neither, only staring at his soup as if the smell of it was about to make him sick. I needed to watch that one, Chet thought. Assemble. The shout came suddenly from a dozen throats and quickly spread to every part of the Iltop camp. Men of the night's watch assembled at the central fire, frowning. Chet finished his supper and followed the rest. The old bear stood before the fire with a small wood lock, while theirs and the plane arranged behind him in a row. Mamont wore a cloak of thick black fur, and his raven perched upon his shoulder, bringing its black feathers. This can't be good. Chet squeezed between brown burner and some shadow tower men. When everyone was gathered, save for the watchers in the wood and the guards on the ring wall, Mamont cleared his throat and spat. The spitter was frozen before it hit the ground. Brothers, he said, men of the night's watch, men. His the raven scream, men, men. The wildings are on the march, following the course of Milkwater down out the mountains. Thorin believes their run will be upon us ten days hence.
the most seasoned riders will be with Hamad Dogs head in that one. The rest will likely form a reward reward or ride in close company with man's rider himself, as well their fathers will be spread in, along the line of march. They have oxen, mules, horses, but few enough. Most will be afoot and ill-armed and untrained. Such weapons as they carry are more likely to be stone and bone than steel. They are burdened with women, children, herds of sheep and goats, and all they will goats besides in short though they are numerous they are vulnerable and they do not know that we are here or so we must pray they know though chat you bloody old plus bag uh, they know certain and sunrise Korean of hand hasn't come back has he nor German but well if any of them got caught you know damned well the Waldens will have wrung a song or two out of them by now small wood stuff for man's father means to break the war and bring red war to the seven kingdoms while well, that's a game two can play on the morrow we'll bring the war to him we ride down with all our strength the old bear said as a murmur went throughout the assembly we will ride north and loop around to the west amazon will Be well past the feast by the time we turn. The foot hills of the frog swans are full of narrow windings, valleys made for ambush. Their line of march with strength for many miles. We show four on them in several places at once and make them swear we were three thousand, not three hundred. Well, we'll hit hard and be away before they horsemen come from up to face us. Thorosman who said, if they first too, we'll let them a merry chase, then we'll and hit again farther down the column. We burn their wagons, scatter their heads, and slay as many as we can, as rather himself if we find him. If they break and return to their hooves, we've won. If not, we'll hurry them all the way to the wall and see to it that they leave a trail of corpses to mark their progress. There are thousands. Someone called from behind chat. We'll die. That was a Mazzillian's voice, green with fear. Die, screamed the moment, a raven flapping its black wings. Die, die, die. Many of us, the old bat said, may after even all of us, but as another Lord Commander said a thousand years ago, that is why they dress us in black. Remember your words, brothers, for we are the swords in the darkness, the watchers in the wars, the fire that burns against the core. Sam Malader Locke drew his longsword. Light that brings the dawn, others answer, and more swords were pulled from scabbards. Then all of them were drawn, and it was near three hundred upright swords, and as many voices cried, the horn that wakes the sleepers, the shield that guards the realms of man. 
Chad had no choice but to join his voice with the others. The air was misty with their breath, and firelight glinted all the still. He was pleased to see Lark, and soft footed and sweet than her joining in as if they were as big fools as the rest. That was good, no sense to draw attention. The hour was so close. When the shouting died away, once more he heard the sound of the wind begin at the ring wall. The flames whirled and shivered as if they too were cold, and in the sudden quiet, the old bell's raven carried loudly and once again said, Die. Clever bird, thought Chatha as the officer dismissed them, warning everyone to get a good meal and a long rest tonight. Chat Cold under his furs and near the dogs, his head full of things that could go wrong. What if that booty horse gave one of his a change of art? Rosemalpo forgot and tried to kill Mormon during the second watch in place of the third. Or Muslim lost his courage, or someone turned informer, or he found himself listening to the night. The wind did sound like a wailing child, and from time to time he could hear men's voices, a horse's whinny, a log spitting in the fire, but nothing else. So quiet. He could see Bessel's face floating before him. It wasn't the knife I wanted to put in you, he wanted to tell her. I picked your flowers, wild roses, and fancy, and golden calves. It took me all morning. His heart was thumping like a drum, so loud he feared it might wake the camp. I saw Kade his bird all round his mouth. Where did that come from with Bessa? Whenever he had thought of her before, he had only been to remember the way he, she looked at dying. What was wrong with him? He could hardly breathe. Had he gone to sleep, he got to his knees, and something wet and, and cold touched his nose. Chet looked up. Snow was falling, falling. He could feel tears freezing to his cheeks. It isn't fair, he wanted to scream. Now, snow would ruin everything he worked for, or his careful plans. It was a heavy fall, thick white flakes coming down all about him. How would they find their food cages in the snow, or the game trail they meant to follow his? They weren't needed when nor Bannon to hunt us down neither, not if we are tracking throughout fresh snow. And the snow hid the shape of the ground, especially by night. A horse could stumble over a root, break a leg on a stone. We are done, he realized, done before we began. We are lost. There'll be no lord life for the rich man's son, no keep to call his own, no wives and no crowns, only a wildling's word in his belly and then an unmarked grave. The snow's taking it all from me, the bloody snow. Snow had ruined him once before, snow and his fat pig. Chad got to his feet, his legs were stiff, and the failing snowflakes turned the distant horses to vague orange glows. He felt as though he were being attacked by a cloud of pale cold bags. They settled on his shoulders, on his head, they flew at his nose and his eyes. 
cursing. He brushed them off with more water. He remembered, I can see deal with Serpigi. He wrapped his scarf around his face, pulled up his hood, and went striding throughout the camp to where the coward slept. The snow was falling so evenly that he got lost among the tents, but finally spotted the snug little with break. The fat boy had made for himself between a rock and the raven cages. Charlie was buried beneath a mound of black wool blankets and shaggy furs. The snow was drifting in to cover him. He looked like some kind of soft round mountain, still whispered on little faint, as hope as chat is the his dagger from his seeth. One of the ravens forget. Snow, another muttered, peering throughout the bars with black eyes, the fierce added snow of its own. He edged past them, placing each foot carefully. He would cup his left hand down over the fat boy's mouth to muffle his cries, and then, whoa! He stopped mid-stop, swollen his curse as the sound of the horn shuddered throughout the camp, faint and far yet unmistakable. Not now, God be damned, not now. The old bear had hidden far eyes in a ring of trees around the feast to give warning of any approach. Jama backwells back from the giant stair, chat figured or quarrying offhand from the skirling pass. A single blast of the ornament brothers returning. If it was the elf hand, John Snow might be with him alive. Sam Tarly sat up, fear-eyed, and stared at the snow in confusion. The ravens were cooing noisily, and Chet could hear his dogs baying. After Booty comes awake, his gloved fingers clenched around the dagger's hilt as he waited for the sound to die away, but no sooner had it gone than it came again louder and longer. Whoa! God, he heard Sam Tarly whimper. The fat boy lurched to his knees, his feet sunk on his cloak and blankets. He kicked them away and reached for a chainmail. How bark hid a hung on the rock nearby. As he slipped the huge tent of a garment down over his head and wrinkled into it. His bite shut, standing there. Was it two? he asked. I dreamed that I heard two blasts. No dream, said Chet. Two blasts to call the watch to arms. Two blasts for foes approaching. There's an ox out there with piggy bright on it, fat boy. Two blasts means wildings. The fear on that big moon face made him want to laugh. Bugger them all to seven as a bloody armor. Beauty man's rider, bloody small wood, he said they wouldn't be on us for another. Whoa! The sun went on and on and on until it seemed it would never die. The ravens were flopping and screaming, flying about the cages and banging off the bars and all about the camp. The brothers of the night watch were rising, donning their armor, buckling on school belt, reaching for battle axes and bows. Samuel Tally stood shaking, his face the same color as the snow that swirled down uh, all around them. Free, Miss Quicker chat, that was free, I am free. They never blowed three, not for hundreds and thousands of years. Three means. 
others. Tell me the sound that was half a laugh and half a sob, and suddenly his small clothes were wet, and he could feel the piss running down his leg, see steam rising on the front of his breeches. An east wind blew throughout his tangled hair, as soft and fragrant as sassy fingers. He could hear birds singing and feel the river moving beneath the boat as the sweep of the oars sent them toward the pale pink dawn. After so long in darkness, the world was so sweet that James Lannister felt dizzy. I am alive and drunk on sunlight. A laughter burst from his lips, sudden as a quail flushed from cover. Quiet. The wench grumbled, scowling. Scow seated her broad only face better than a smile. Not that James had ever seen a smiling. He amused himself by picturing her in one of Cersei's silken gowns, in place of a sudden little jerkin, as well dressed a cow in silk as this one. But the cow would roll beneath a rough spoon brown breeches were placed like cords of wood, and the long muscles of her arms stretched and tightened with each stroke of the oars. Even after rowing up the night, she showed no sign of the charming, which was more than could be said for his cousin Sir Cleos, laboring on the other oar. A big strong pheasant wench look at her, yet she speaks like one eyeball, and wears long sword and daggers. Ah, but can she use them? Jim meant to find out as soon as he read himself of these factors. He brought iron manacles on his wrists and a matching pair about his ankles, joined by a length of heavy chain no more. Than a foot long. You'd think uh, my word as a Lannister was not good enough. He chipped as they bound him. He'd been very drunk by then, thanks uh, to Kathleen Stark. How they escape from a river and it recalled only bits and pieces. There had been some trouble with the Golor, but the bigger wench had overcome him. After that, they had climbed an endless stair around and round. His legs were weak as grass, and he stumbled twice or tri- twice until the wench lent him an arm to lean on. At some point, he was bundled into a traveler clock and showed him to the bottom of a skiff. He remember listening to Lady Kathleen command someone to raise the Pocules on the water gate. She was sending Sir Clare's free back to King's Landing with the new terms for the Queen. She had declared in a tone that brooked no argument. He must have drifted off then. The wine had made him sleepy and it felt good strength. A luxurious chance had not permitted him in the cell. Jamie had long ago learned to snatch sleep in the saddle during a march. This was no harder. Tyrion is going to laugh himself sick when he hears how I slept throughout my own escape. He was awake now, though, and the fetters were irksome. My lady, he called out, if you strike of these chains, I'll spell you at those oars. Uh, she scored again, her face all teeth and glowing suspicion. You wear chain, your chains, uh, Kingslayer.
you figure to row all the way to King Landing Wench, you will call me Brian, not Wench. My name is Sir James, not Kingsdale. Do you deny that you do a king? No. Do you deny your sex? If so, anchor those breeches and show me. He gave her an innocent smile. I'd ask you to open your bodies, but from the look of you, that wouldn't prove much. Sir Claus fretted. Casey, remember your courtesies. Dennis Blue runs thin in this one. Claus was his aunt, Jenna's son by that dollar, Emon Frey. Wed lived in terror of Lord Ewan Lannister since the day he wed his sister. But Lord Walder Frey had brought the twins into the war on the side of reverence. Amon had chosen his wife's allegiance over his father's. Castle Rock got the worst of that bargain. James reflected. Sacleos looked like a weasel, for like goose, and had the courage of an especially brave you. Lady Stark had promised him really as if he delivered her message to Tyrone and Sir Claus had solemnly wooed to do so. They all done a deal of bowing back in the cell, Jim Moss of all. That was Lady Kathleen's prize for losing him. She had laid the point of the big wand sword against his heart and said, Swear that you will never again take up arms against Stark. No truly. Swear that you will compel your brother to honor his pledge to return my daughters safe and unarmed. Swear on your honor as a knight, on your honor as a Lannister, on your honor as a sworn brother of the King's Guard. Swear it by your sister's life and your father's and your son's, by the old gods and the new, and I send you back to your sister. Refuse, and I will have your blood. You remember the prick of the steel throughout his rags as she twisted the point of the sword. I wonder that. I wonder what the Eye Scepter would have to say about the sanctity of her oaths sworn while dead drunk, chained to a wall with a sword pressed to your chest. Not that James was truly concerned about that fat fraud or the gods he claimed to serve. You remember the pale lady Kathleen had kicked over in his cell, a strange woman to trust her girls to a man with a sheet for honor, though she was tr- trusting him as little as she dared. She is putting her hope in Tyrion, not in me. Perhaps she is not so stupid after all. He said aloud. His capital took it wrong. I am not stupid nor deaf. He was gentle with her, mocking this one would be so easy there would be no sport to it. I was speaking to myself and not to of you. It's an easy habit to sleep into in a cell. She frowned at him, pushing the others forward, pulling them back, pushing them forward, saying nothing. As glib of tongue as she is fair of face, by your speech I judge you nobly born. My father is a Sawin of Toth, by the grace of the gods, the lord of Evenfall, even that was given grudgingly. Toth, James said, a ghastly large rock in the narrow sea, as I recall, and Evenfall is sworn to storms, and how it is, is it that you serve Rob of Winterfell? 
It is Lady Kathleen, I sir, and she commanded me to deliver you safe to your brother Tyrone at King's Landing to Bendy Wars with you. Be silent. I've had a belly full of silence, woman. Talk with Sir Klaus, then I have no words for monsters. James Huthert. Other monsters hereabouts hiding beneath the water fabs in that thick of willows, and me without my sword. A man who would violate his own sister, mother, his king, and feeling an innocent child to his death deserves no other name. Innocent, the wretched boy was spying on us. All Jamie had wanted was an hour along with Susie. Their journey north had been one long torment, seeing her every day unable to touch her, knowing that Robert stumbled drunkenly into her bed every night in that great creaking wheelhouse. Tyrion had done his best to keep him in a good humor, but it had not been enough. You will be courteous as Concern says. Concerns, Cersei. Wench, he warned her. My name is Brienne, not Wench. What do you care what a monster calls you? My name is Brienne, she repeated, dagged as a hound. Lady Brienne, she looked so uncomfortable that James sensed a weakness. Oh, would Sir Brienne be more to your taste? He laughed. No, I fear not. You can trick out a milk cow in crapper, crinet and chamfron, and barter her all in silk, but that doesn't mean you can ride her into battle. Cousin Jane, please, you ought not speak so roughly. Under his cock, Sir Cleos wore a circuit carted with the twin towers of House Free and the Golden Lion of Lannister. We have far to go. We should not quarrel amongst ourselves. When I quarrel, I do it with a sword, because I was speaking to the lady. Tell me, when I... Or the woman on top, as homely as you, I pity the man, if so. Perhaps they do not know what real women look like, living on a dreary mountain in the sea. The wench grunted between strokes. The sapphire eyes its gold. Be quiet, monster, unless you mean to make me gag you. She's rude as well, isn't she, cause? Jim asks Sir Klaus, though she has seal in her spine. I grant you, not many men dare name me monster to my face, though behind my back they speak freely enough, I have no doubt. Sir Klaus coughed nervously. Lady Brienne had those lies from Gadolin Stark, no doubt. The Starks cannot hope to defeat you with sword, sir, so now they make war with poisonous words. They did defeat me with swords, you chillless crate. Cretin James, my knowingly. Man, we read uh, all sorts of things uh, through this world, uh, this uh, kettle of dunk. Or is he striving to appreciate himself? What do we have here? An honest, not honored, or a like spittle? Such as butter built on. 
Any man who believed that a sworn brother of the king's guard would arm a child does not know the meaning of honor. Dick Spittal, if true be told, Jam Jamie had come to rule him and Brandon Stark out that winter. Cersei had given him no hand of grief of war. When they boy refused to die, he was seven, Jane. She'd breathed him, even if he understood what is so. We should have been able to frighten him into silence. I didn't think you want. You never think. If the boy should wake and tell his father what he saw, if, uh, if, if he had put her into his lap, if he wakes, we say he was dreaming. We call him a liar, and should worse come to worse, I'll kill and Stark. And then what do you imagine Robert will do? Let Robert do as he pleases. I go to war with him if I must. The war for Cersei can't. The singers will call it. Jim. They go of me, she ragged us, struggling to rise. Instead, he has kissed her. For a moment, she resisted, but then her mouth opened under his. He remembered the taste of wine and cloves on her tongue. She gave a shudder. His hand went to her bodies and yanked. Tearing the silk saw her breasts speed free, and for a time the stark boy had been forgotten. Had Cersei remembered him afterward and eyed this man Lady Kathleen spoke of to make sure the boy never woke? If she wanted him dead, she would have sent me, and it is not like her to choose a cat's ball who would make such a royal botch of the killing. Dawn River, the rising sun shimmered against the wind-whipped surface of the river. The south shore was red clay, smooth as any road. Small streams fed into the greater, and rotten trunks of drowned trees clung to the banks. The north shore was wilder, light rocky bluffs forced twenty feet above them, crowned by stanza of beech, oak, and chestnut. James spied a watchtower on the height's head, growing tall with every stroke of the earth. Long before they were upon it, he knew that it stood abandoned, its weathered stones overgrow with climbing roses. When the wind shifted, the clouds helped the big wind run up the seas, a stiff triangle of striped red and blue canvas. Two little colors sure to cause them grief if they encountered any Lannister forces on the river, but it was the only save they had. Brienne took the rudder. Jane threw out the lee board, his chains rattling as she moved. After that, they made better speed, with wind and current both favoring their flight. We could save a deal of traveling if you delivered me to my father instead of my brother, he pointed out. Lady Kathleen's daughters are in King's Landing. I will return with the girls or not at all. Jane turned to the clouds. Cousin, lend me your knife. No, the woman answered. I will not have you armed. Her voice was as unnerved as stone. She fears me, even in irons. Clouds, it seems I must ask you to shape me. Leave the bird, but take the air of my head. You'd be shaved, Bald? asked the close friend. 
Rion knows Jim Lancer as a brother last night with long golden hair. A bad man with a filthy yellow beard may pass unnoticed. I should not be recognized while I'm in irons. The dagger was not as sharp, uh, sharp as it might have been. Klaus acted away manfully, sewing and ripping his wave while the max intercepted the hair over the side. The golden cords floated on the surface of the water, gradually falling astern. As the tongues vanished, loose went pulling down his neck. Jim caught it and crushed it against his tumbling. Sir Claus picked others from his scalp and flicked them into the water. Jim jostled his head and mud and made Sir Claus wet the blade before he let him scrape away the last inch of yellow stubble. When that was done, they trimmed back his beard as well. Reflection in the water was a man he did not know. Not only was he bald, but he looked as though he had aged five years in the dungeon. His face was thinner, with holes under his eyes and lines he did not remember. I don't look as much like Cersei this way. She'll eat the but midday, Sir Claus had fallen asleep. His own was sounded like ducks mating. James stretched out to watch the whole wall flow past. After the ducks, uh, every rock and trees was under. A few one-room sacks uh, came and went, uh, perched on tall poles uh, that made them look like cranes. Of the folk who lived there, they saw no sign. Birds flew overhead, or cried out from the trees along the shore, and James himself very fish sniffing throughout the water. To the throat, there's a bad omen, he thought, until he saw a horse. One of the folding lugs they passed turned out to be a dead man, bloodless and swollen. His cloak was standing in the roots of a fallen tree, its color unmistakably Lancer crimson. He wondered if the corpse had been someone he knew. The fox of the trident were the easiest way to move gods or men across the river land. In times of peace, they would have encountered fisherfolk in these skiffs, green bogs being pulled and streamed, merchant sealing needles and bowl of cloth from floating shops, perhaps even a gaily painted mama's bowl with quilted sails of half a hundred colors, making its way up river from village to village and castle to castle. But a war had taken its tool. They sailed past villages but saw no villages. An empty net slashed and tore and hung from some trees was the only sign of fire fisher folk. A young man girl watering her oars rode off as soon as she glimpsed the sail. Later they passed a dozen peasants digging in a field beneath the shell of a burnt tower house. The man gazed at them with dull eyes and went back to their levels once they decided the skiff was no threat. The red fork was wide and slow. The red fork, red fork was wide and slow. A meandering river of loops and bends, cluttered with tiny wooden nuts that and frequently chosen by sandals and snags that lurk just before the dangers. Though. No, we seem to find the channel. When Jem complimented her on her knowledge of the river, she looked at him suspiciously and said, I do not know the river. 
That is an Iceland. I learned to manage oars and sail before I ever set oars. Circle set up and rubber his eyes. Got my house and saw. I hope the wind lasts. He sniffed at it as my rain. Dream would welcome a good rain. Legends of Riveran were not the cleanest place in the Seven Kingdoms. By now he must smell like an overripe cheese. Cleo squinted down river smoke, a thin grey finger crooked them on. It was rising from the south bank several miles on, twisting and curling. Below, they made out the smoldering remains of a large building and a live oak full of dead women. The crowds had scarcely started on their corpses, the thin ropes cut deeply into the soft flesh of the forts, and when the wind blew, they twisted and swayed. This was not chivalrously done, said Brian, when they were close enough to see it clearly. Not through night would condone such quantum butchery. Two nights see wars every time they ride war went, said Jim, and do wars, yes. Branton rudder toward the shore, I leave no incense to be food for crowds. A heartless went, crowds were near to hear it as well. Stay to the river and leave the dead alone, woman. They landed upstream where the great oak leaned out over the water. As Brienne lowered the sail, Jim climbed out clumsy in his chains. The red folk filled his boots and soaked throughout the ragged breeches. Laughing, he dropped to his knees, plugged his head under the water, and came up trenched and dripping. His hands were caked with dirt, and when he rubbed them clean in the current, they seemed thinner and paler than he remembered. His legs were stiff as well, and unsteady when he put his weight upon them. I was too bloody long in Oster to lose dungeon. Rian and Cleos dragged the skiff onto the bank. The corpses hung above their heads, reopening in that lightful fluid. One of us will need to cut them down, the wench said. I'll come. Jim waited a short thinking. Just got the other chains off. The wench was staring up at one of dead women. Jim suffered closer with small stuff. Sutter steps, uh, the only king the food long chain permitted. When he saw the crude sign hung about the neck of the artist's corpse, he smiled. They lay with the lions, he read. Oh, yes, woman, this was most unchivalrously done, but uh, by your side, not mine. I wonder who they were, these women. Talent wenches, said Sir Klaus Frey. This was Anin, I remember it now. Some of some men of my escort spent the night here when the West last returned to Riveran. Nothing remained of the building but the stone foundation and a tangle of collapsed beams turned black. Smoke still rose from the ashes. James left brothers and horse to his brother Tyrone. Sister was the only woman he had ever wanted. The girls pleasured some of my lord's father's soldier. It would seem 
for after them food and drink. That's how they earned the traitor's collars with a kiss and a couple ill. He glanced up and down the river to make certain they were quite alone. In this uh, Brecon land, Lord Jones might have ordered them killed. My father burned his castle. I fear he loves us not. It might be Bark or Peeper's Walk, said Sir Claus, or that whisper of the wood buried Gentarion, though Hyde heard he kills only soldier, perhaps a band of whose buttons an old man, but was defeated by my father on the green fork, but not broken, said Sir Claus. He came forward again when Lord Tyrone marched again the fork. The word at Riveron was that he had taken Aronoff from Sir Amory Lodge. Jim liked the sound of that not at all. Brian, he said, grunting at the courtesy of the name in the hope that she might listen. If Lower Burton holds Aronoff, both the Trident and the King's Roder are likely watched. He thought he saw a touch of uncertainty in her big blue eyes. You are under my protection. They'd need to kill me. I shouldn't think that would trouble them. I am as good a father as you, she said defensively. I was one of King's Randley's chosen seven. With his own hands, he clothed me with the striped silk of the Rainbow Guard. The Rainbow Guard, you and six other girls, was it? A single one said that all maids are fair in silk, but he never met you, did he? The woman turned around. We have graves to dig. She went to climb the tree. The well limbs of the oak were big enough for her to stand upon once she had gotten up the trunk. She walked amongst the leaves, dagger in hand, cutting down the corpses. Fires swarmed around the bodies as they fell, and the stench grew worse with each one she dropped. This is a deal of trouble to take for oars, Sir Cleos complained. What are we supposed to dig with? We have no spades, and I will not use my sword, i.e. Brienne gave a shout. She jumped down rather than climbing. To the board, be quick, there's a sail. They made what as they could, though Jim could hardly run, and had to be pulled back up into the skiff by his cousin. Brienne showed up with an oar and raised sail hurriedly. Sir Cleos, I need you to row as well. It is as she bid. The skiff began to cut the water a bit faster, current wind, and oars worked for them. James sat chain, peering upriver, only the top of the other sail was visible. With the way the red fork looked, it looked to be across the fields, moving not behind the screen of trees while they moved south, but he knew that was deceptive. He lifted both hands to shade his eyes. Mark red and watery blue, he announced. Brian's big mouth woke suddenly, giving her the look of a cow chewing its cud. Faster, sir. He soon vanished behind them. They lost sight at the top of the seas as well, but that meant nothing. Once the pursuers swung around the loop, they would become visible again. We can hope the noble Tadis will stop to bury the dead horse, I suppose. The prospect of returning to his cell did not appear to Jane. Tyrion could think of something clever now. 
but uh, all that occur occurs to me is to go out down with a sword. For the good part of an hour, they played peek and seek with the purses sweeping around bands and between small wooded icebergs. Just when they were starting to hope that somehow they might have left behind the pursuit, the distance had become visible again. Sir Claus posed in his stroke. The others take them. He wiped the sweat from his brow. Bro. There is a river galley coming after us, Jim announced after he'd watched her for a while. With every stroke, it seemed to grow a little lager. Nine oars on each side, which means I didn't mean men. More if they crowded on fathers as well as rowers, and lagers says than ours, we cannot outrun her. Sir Claus froze at his oars. I think you said. Six for each of us. I want eight, but these bracelets hinder be somewhat. Jim held up his wrist unless Lady Brian would be so kind as to unshackle me. She ignored him, putting all her effort into a stroke. We had half a night start on them to himself. They'd been rowing since then, resting to or at the time. They'd be exhausted. Just now, the side of our sea has given them a burst of strength, but that will no last. We ought to be able to kill a good many of them. Sir Claus gasped, but there are 18, at least more likely 20 or 25. It's causing growing. We can hope to defeat 18. Did I say we could? The best we can hope for is to die with sword in our hands. He was perfectly sincere. Jenland said I'd never been afraid of death. Brian broke off rowing. Sweet had stuck a strand of her flax cord hair to her forehead, and her grimace made her lose familiar than ever. You are under my protection, she said, her voice so thick with anger that it was almost a groan. He had to laugh at such fierceness. She is only hand with the teeth, he thought, or would be if she had any teeth to speak of. Then protect me, Bunch, or free me to protect myself. The galley was skimming down river, a great wooden dragonfly. The water around her was turned white by the furious action of her oars. She was a guinea visible, the man on her deck crowding forward as she came on, but glinted in their hands, and James could see bows as well. Archers, he hated archers. At the pole of the unrushing galley stood a sticky man with a bald head, bushy grey eyebrows and brawny arms. Over his mane, he wore a soiled white circle with weeping willow embroidery in pale green, but his coat was fastened with a silver throat. Reverend Captain of Guards, in his day, Sir Robin Riker had been a notably tenacious fighter, but his day was done. He was of an age with austerity and had grown old with his dawn. When the boats were fifteen yards apart, James covered his hands around his mouth and shouted back over the water, Come to wish me Godspeed, Sir Robin. Come to take you back. King's there. Sir Robin Riger bellowed 
how is it that you have lost your golden hair? I hope to blind my enemies with the sheen of my hair. It's worked well enough for you. Sir Robin was unamused. The distance between Skiff and Galley has shrunk to 40 yards. Throw your horse and your weapons into the river, and no one need be harmed. Circle to the round. Jim tell him we were freed by Lady Kathleen and exchanged a captive local. Jim told him, for all the good it did, Kathleen Stark does not rule in reverence. Sir Robin shouted back, four archers crowded into position on either side of him, standing and turning, cast the old swords into war. I have no sword, he returned, but if I did, I'd stick it through your belly and out the bowls of those four cravens. A pair of arrows answered him, one thudded into the mast. Two pursed the sail and the both missed James by a foot. Another of the red folks pulled, loops loomed before them, Brian under the skiff across the bank. The yards swung as they turned, they say cracking as it filled with wind. Had a large island set in midstream, the main channel forward right to the left a cut off from between the island and the ice depths of the north shore. Brian moved the tailor and the skiff sure left terribly. James watched her eyes, pretty eyes, he thought, and called. He knew how to read a man's eyes. He knew what fear looked like. She is determined, not the spirit. Thirty years behind, the gallery was entering the bar. So close to the tailor, the wench commanded the kingslayer to take an oar and keep us off the rocks. As my lady commands, an oar was not swore, but the blade could break a man's face if it was swung, and the shaft could be used to parry. Sickler showed the oar into chains and scrambled up. They crossed the yard of the island and turned sharply down the cat off, sending a wash of water against the face of the as the boys titled. The island was instantly wooden, a tangle of willows, forks and tall pines that cast deep shadows across rushing water, island snags and rotted trunks of drawn trees. To the left, the blue was sheer and rocker, and at its foot, a river formed widely around broken borders and tumbles of rock fallen from the cliff face. They passed from sunlight into shadow, hidden from the galley's view between the green wall of the trees and the stony blue brown blood. A few moments respite from the arrows, James thought, pushing them of half-submerged boulder, the skiff rocked. He heard a soft splash, and when he glanced round, Pierre was gone. A moment later, he spied again, putting herself from the water at the bus. Base of the bluff. She waited for hours to swallow pools, crumble over some rocks, and began to cling. So close, goggle mouth open, full sergeant. Ignored when she snapped up his cousin steer. They could see the sail moving behind the trees. The river gully came into full view at the top of the cut off 
third twenty-five yards behind the ball, swung hard as she came around and after the narrows took flight by all went worldwide. The motion of the two boats was giving the archers difficulty, but they knew they'd soon enough learn to compensate. Rian was halfway up the cliff face, pulling herself from handhold to handhold. Feel Richard sure to see her, and once he does, he'll have those women bring her down. Jane decided to see if the old man's pride would make him stupid. Sir Robin, he shouted, hear me for a moment. Sir Robin raised a hand, and his archers lowered their bows. Say what you will, cause they, but say it quickly. The skip swung throughout a litter of broken stones as Jim called out, I know a better way to settle this single combat, you and I. I was not born this morning, then, so, no, but you are like to die this afternoon. Jim raised his hand so the other could see the monkers fight you in chains. What could you fear? Not you, sir. If the choice were mine, I'd like nothing better, but I am commanded to bring you back alive if possible, woman. He signaled them on notch drawling. The range was less than twenty yards. The archers could scarcely have missed, but as they pulled on their long bows, a ring of pebbles cascaded down round them. Small stones rattled on their deck, bounced off the arms and made splashes on both sides of the bow. Those who had wits enough to understand raised their eyes just as a boulder the size of a cow detached itself from the top of the booth. Sir Robin shouted in dismay. The stone stumbled throughout the air, struck the face of the cliff, cracked in two, and smashed down on them. The other piece snapped the mast. Throughout the sail, some two of the archers fly into the river and crush the leg of the rower as he bent over his oar. The rapidity with which the galley began to fill with water suggested that the smell of fragment had punched right throughout her earth. The oarsmen's screams echoed off the bluff, while the archers failed widely in the current. From the way they were splashing, neither man could swim. Jim laughed. By that time, they emerged from the cut-off. The galley was thundering amongst the pools, at ease and snugs, and Jim Lancer had decided that the gods were good, said Robin, and his twice them the archers would have a long wet walk back to river, and he was rid of the big only wench as well. I could not have done it by myself, once I am free of these irons. Circus raised a thought and a thought. When Jim Louisa Brown was slumbering along the cliff top well ahead of them, having cut across a finger of land while they were following the bound in the river, she threw herself off the rock and looked almost graceful as she put into dive. It would have been ungracious to hope that she would smash her head on a stone. Sir Cluster skipped water. Thankfully, James still had his oar, and one good swing when she comes up. But then, up, and I'll be free of her. Instead, he found himself stretching the oar out over the water. Brienne grabbed the oar, and James pulled her in. 
as uh, he have uh, into the skiff, water run from her hair and dripped from her sabon, going to be on the deck. She is even uglier, wet. Who would have uh, thought it possible? Your beauty. Stupid wench, he told her. He could have stayed on with you. I suppose you expect me to thank you. I want none of your thanks, Dinsdayer. I swore an oath to bring you safe to King's Landing. And you actually mean to keep it? He gave her his uh, brightest smile. That is a wonder. Said the small girl and suffered absolutely all his life. He had been a squire when Kathleen was born, and I, when she learned to walk and ride or swim, nothing at all by the day that she was wed. He had seen Lada Oster's little cat become a young woman, a great little lady, mother to a king, and now he had seen become a traitor as well. Her father had named the Sardisman the Castellan of Riveran when he rode off to battle, so it fell to him to deal with her crime. To his discomfort, he brought her father's sword with him, though of her it's a wing. Two men stood and looked at her. Sardisman's stout, red face, embarrassed, alter eyes, grave, grave, gaunt, melancholy, each waited for the others to speak. They have given their lives to my father's service, and I have repaid them with disgrace, Kathleen thought warmly. Your sons, Sardisman said at last, must learn to us, the poor lads, terrible, terrible, but we share you grief, my lady, said utter eyes away. O Riveron mourns with you, but the news must have driven you mad, Sardisman broke in, a madness of grief, a mother's madness, man we understand, you did not know, I did. Kathleen said firmly, I understood what I was doing and knew it was treasonous. If you dare to punish me, man, we believe that we can work together to free Jane Lancer. It was mine own act and mine alone, and I alone must answer for it. Put me in the king's ears, empty horns, and I will wear them proudly if that is how it must be. Fatas? They very would seem to suppose uh, this man for the king's mother, my lord's own daughter, impossible. May off, said the steward, other hides away. My lady would consent to be confined to her chamber until Sir Edmund returns. I am alone to pray for a murdered son's confined again, said this monster, confined to a tower, sir, that would serve. If I am to be confined, let it be in my father's chambers, so I might comfort him in his last days. Let us not consider a moment very well. You shall lack no comfort, no courtesy, but freedom of the castle is denied you. Is it except as you need, but elsewise remain in Lord Hester's chambers until the Edmund returns? As you wish, her brothers was no lord while their father lived, but Kathleen did not correct him, said the guard on me if you must, but I give you my pledge that I shall attempt no escape. 
Set a small noted, vainly glad to be done with his distasteful task, but said I'd at his win, linger a moment after the castle to Castillo. It was a grave thing you did, my lady, but for not. Sir Desmond has sent Sir Robin Roger after them to bring back the king's layer or feeling that his son had. Kathleen had expected no less. May the warrior give strength to your sword arm. Brienne, she prayed. He had done all she could. Nothing remained but to hope. Sir things were moving to her father's chamber, dominated by the great canopied bed she had been born in, its pillar covered in the shapes of a living throat. Her father himself had been moved off, turned downstairs, his sick bed face to face, the triangular beckoning that opened off his solar, from whence he could see the rivers that he had always loved so well. But also was sleeping when Kathleen entered. She went out to the balcony and stood with one hand on the rough stone balustrade. Beyond the point of the castle, the swift thunderstone joined the placid red fork, and she could see a long way down the river. If a strict sail comes from the east, it will be Sir Robin returning. For the moment, uh, the surface of the waters was empty. She thanked the gods for that and went back inside to sit with her father. Kathleen could not say if Lord also knew that she was there, or if her presence brought him any comfort, but it gave her solace to be with him. What would you say if you knew my crime, father? She wondered. Would you have done as I did if it were Eliza and me in the hands of our enemies, or would you command me too and call it mother's madness? There was a smell of death about that room, a heavy smell was wet and full, thinking it reminded her of the sons that she had lost. Her sweet brown and her little recon, slain at the end of thin grey joy, who had been Ned's words. She still grieved for Ned. She would always grieve for Ned, but to have her babies taken as well. It is a monstrous, cruel thing to lose a child. She whispered something more to herself than to her father. Though the oster's eyes opened, Tensi, he husked in a voice thick with pain. He does not know me. Kathleen had grown accustomed to him taking her for her mother or her sister Liza, but Tensi was a name strange to her. It's Kathleen, she, she said. It's Cat, father. Forgive me, Lord, oh please, Tansy. Could there have been another woman in her father's life, some village maiden he had found when he was young, perhaps? Could he have found comfort in some servant when arms after mother died? It was a queer thought, and suddenly, suddenly she felt as though she had not known her father at all. Who is Tansy, my lord? Do you want me to sound for her father? Where would I find a woman? Does she still live? Alastair groaned. Dad, his hand groped for hers. You have others, sweet babes, and born. Others? Kathleen thought. Has he forgotten that Ned is gone? Is he still talking to Tansy, or is it me now, or Liza, or mother? When he cast the, the spoon, whom came up, Ludy. He clutched her fingers.
be good wife and the gods will bless you sons true born sons haha there's sudden spasm of pain made lord sir at Thornton, ears and ears dug into her head, and he gave him a first scream. Master Byman came quickly to mix another dose of milk of the puppy, and the healthy store swallowed it down. Soon enough, the Lord Hoster Chili had fallen back into a deep sleep. He was asking after the woman, said Cat Tansy. Tansy? The master looked at her blankly. You know no one by that name? A servant girl, a woman from some nearby village, perhaps someone from years past. Kathleen had been gone from Freeburn for a very long time. No, my lady. I can make inquiries if you like. Other years, Wayne would surely know if any such person ever served at Freeburn. Tansy, did you say? The small folk often named their daughters after flowers and herbs. The master looked thoughtful. There was a window. I recall she used to come to the castle looking for oysters in need of new souls. Her name was Tansy. Now that I think on it, or was it Fancy? Some such, but she has not come for many years. Her name was Violet, said Galen, who remembered the old woman very well. Was it? The master looked up all the dirty. My patterns, Lady Cadley, but I am not they. So Desmond has decreed what that we are to speak to you only so far as our duties require. Then you must do as he commands. Cadley could not blame Desmond. She had given him small reason to trust her, and no doubt he feared that she might use the loyalty that many of the folk of Riveran would still felt toward their lad's daughter to work some further mischief. I am free of the war, at least, she told herself, only for a little while. After the master had gone, she donned a woolen cloak and stepped out into uh, the balcony once more. Celeste shimmered on the rivers, gilding the surface of the waters as they rolled past the castle. Kathleen shaded her eyes against the glare, searching for distance, sail, dreading their side among one. But there was nothing, and nothing meant that her hopes were still alive. For the day, she watched and well into dawn till her legs aged from the standing. A raven came to the castle in late afternoon, flapping down on great black wings to the rookery. Dark wings, dark woods, she thought, remembering the last bird that had come and the horror he had brought. Master Byman returned at evenfall to minister to Bertrude and bring Catalina a a supper of bread cheese and boiled beef with all the radish. I spoke to Arthur Eilwine, my lady. He is quite certain that no woman by the name of Tennessee has ever been at Riveron during his service. There was a raven today I saw. Has him been taken again? Was they? God forbid. No, my lady. We have had no order of the Kinslayer. Is it another battle that is at more in difficulty or rob? Please, be kind, put my fears at rest. My lady, I should not, the me glanced about, as if to make certain no one else was in the room. Lord Wynne, as that triple lands all squared on the floors. Whence came the raven, then? 
in the west, he answered, busying himself with the officers, bad quarters, and avoiding their eyes. Was it new or rope? He hesitated. Yes, my lady, something is wrong. She knew it from his manner. He was hiding something from her. Tell me, it is rather, is he hurt? Not that. God be good. Please do not tell me that he is dead. His grace took a wound storm in the crack. Master Bayman sat still evasive, but writes that he evasive, but writes that it is no cause for concern and that he hopes to return soon. I won't. What sort of wound? How serious, no cause for concern, he writes. All wounds concern me. Is he being cared for? I am certain of it. Uh, the matter uh, and the crag will turn to him, I have no doubt. Well, was he wounded? My lady, I command not to speak with you. I am sorry, I'm gathering up his potions of and made a hurried exit, and once again Kathleen was left alone with her father. The milk of the puppy had done its work, and last was sunk in every sleep. A thin line of spill ran down from one concern of his open mouth to dampen his pillow. Kathleen took a square of linen and wiped it away gently. When she touched him, Lord Hustler moaned, Forgive me, he said, so softly she could scarcely hear the words. Then see, blue, the blue, gods be kind. His words disturbed her more than she could say, though she could make no sense of them. Blue, the she thought, must it all come from blue? Father, who was this woman, and what did you do to her that needs so much forgiveness? Then Norcadine stopped, fitfully hunted by formless dreams of her children, the lost and dead. But before the break of day, she woke with her father's wood equine in her hands, sweet babes and tribune. Why would he say that unless could he have father a bastard on this woman, Tansy? She could not believe it. Her brother, Edmund, yes, it would not have surprised her to learn that Edmund had a dozen natural children, but not her father, not though assertively never. Could Tansy be some fat name he called Liza, the way he called me cat? Lord Oster had mistaken her for a sister before. You have others, he said, sweet babes and trueborn. Liza had miscarried five times, twice in the air, thrice at King's Landing, but never a riveran, but Lord Oster would have been at hand to comfort her. Never unless, unless she was with child the fifth time. She and her sister had been married on the same day and left in their father's care. When their new husbands had ridden off to rejoin Robert's rebellion, after all, when they boom blew, did not come at the custom time, that said the gosh deputy on the songs she was certain they carried. Your son will be here to win so far mine to the year, or they'll be the best of friends like you, Ned and Lord Robert. They'd be more brothers than cousins, truly. I just know it. 
She was so happy, but Liza Blue had come not longer after, and all the joy had gone out of her. Kathleen had always thought that Liza had simply been a little late, but if she had been with a child, she remembered the first time she gave her sister Robert to hold, small, red-faced, and squalling, but strong even then, full of life. No sooner had Kathleen placed the baby in her sister's arms than Liza's face dissolved into tears. Already she had thrust the baby back at Kathleen and said, if she had lost a child before, that might explain others was and much else besides. As his match with Lord Erin had been hastily arranged, and John was an old man, even then older than their father, an old man without a name, his first two voices had left him childless. Childless, his brother's son had been murdered with Bandon Stark in King's Landing. His gallant cousin had died in the Battle of the Bells. He needed a young wife if Alzarin was to continue. A young wife known to be fertile. Kathleen Rose threw on a robe and descended the steps to the darkened solar to stand over her father. A sense of helpless dread filled her. Father, she said, Father, I know what you did. She was no longer an innocent bride with a head full of dreams. She was a widow, a traitor, a river mother, and wise, wise in the ways of the war. You made him take her, she whispered. Lisa was the price John Herrin had to pay for the swords and spears of the house today. Small wonder her sister's marriage had been so loveless. The Herrins were proud and prickly to their owner. Lord John might well Liza to bind to this to the cause of the rebellion and in hopes of a son, but it would have been hard for him to love a woman who came to his best way and willing. He would have been kind, no doubt, dutiful, yes, but Liza needed wounds. The next day, as she broke her fast, Kathleen asked for Kia and the paper and began a letter to her sister in the Vale of Arryn. She told Liza of Brandon Freakon struggling with the wars, but mostly she wrote of the father. His thoughts are all of the wrong he did you. Now that his time grows short, Master Viman says he dare not make the miracle of the puppy any stronger. It is time for father to lay down his sword and shield. It is time for him to rest. Yet he fights ungrimly, will not yield. It is for your sake, I think. He needs uh, your forgiveness. The war has made water from the Ayeri to reverend dangers uh, to trouble. I know, but surely a strong force of knights could see you safely throughout the mountains of the moon, a hundred men or a thousand, and if you cannot kill, will you not ride him at least a few words of love, so he might die in peace? Ride what you will, and I shall read it to him, and he is his way. Even as she sat, Kira sighed and asked for sealing wax. Helene sensed that the letter was like to be too little and too late. Kathleen went uh, to the sept and lit a candle to the father above for her own father's sake, second to the queen, who had let the first raven into the war when she peered throughout the door of death, and the third to the mother of Liza and all the children they had both lost. 
Later that day, as she sat aloud on horse beside with a book, reading the same passage over and over, she heard the sound of loud voices and trumpets there. Sir Robin, she thought at once, flinching. She went to the balcony, but there was nothing to be seen out on the rivers, but she could hear the voices more clearly from outside, the sound of many horses, the king of armor, and he and the archer. Helene made her way up the winding stairs to the roof of the keep. Saint Desmond did not forbid me the roof, she told herself as she climbed. The sounds were coming from the far side of the castle by the main gate. Another man stood before the Bacullis as it was in Yorks and Stars, and in the fields beyond outside the castle were several hundred riders. When the wind blew, it lifted their banners, and she trembled in relief at the sight of the leaping throat of River Admiral. It was two hours before he saw fit to come to her. By then, the castle rang to the sound of noisy reunions as men embraced the woman and children they had left behind. Three ravens had risen from the rookery, back wings beating at the air as they took fight. Catherine watched them from her father's balcony. She had washed her hair and her coffin and prepared herself for her brother's approaches. But even so, the waiting was hard. When at last she heard sounds outside her door, he, she sat and folded her hands in her lap, dried red mud, sputtered animals, boots, rivers, and circuit. To look at him, you would never know he had won his battle. He was thin and drawn, with the cheeks uncapped beard and two bright eyes. Edmund, Kathleen said, Would you look unwell as something happened? Have danced across the river? I threw them back, low towing Gregor Cleggie and Adam Brumbrand. I turned them away. Stanis thought. He grimaced. Stanis? What of Stanis? He lost the battle at King's Landing, Edmund said unhappily. His fleet was mainly his army routed, and his victory was ill attendance, but Kathleen could not share her brother's absolute dismay. Since she had nightmares about the shadow, he, she she had seen light across from his tent, and the way the blood had come flowing now throughout the still of his gorget. Stanis was no more a friend than Lord Tywin. You do not understand. I got on, has declared for Geoffrey, the one as well, all the south, his mouth threatened, and you see fear to lose the things there. You had no right. I had a mother's right. Her voice was calm, full. Though news about her garden was a savage blow to Robert's hopes, she could not think about that now, though no right had been revealed, and he was Robert's captive, your king's captive, and Robert told me to keep him safe. Bring will keep him safe. She wore it on earth's wall. That woman, she will deliver Jamie to King Landing and bring Yaria and Santa back to us safely, so she will never give them up. Next Cersei, Tyrone, he swore it in open court, and the king's layers swore it as well. James was in worthless as for the infant is said he took an ox in the head during the battle. He'll be dead before you Brian reaches King's Landing if she ever does. Dead? Could the gods truly be so merciless? She said mad. 
made James swear a hundred hearts, but it was his father's promise she had pinned her hopes on. Edmund was blind to her distress. James was my charge, and I mean to have him back. I've sent Ravens, Ravens to whom? How many? Three, he said. So the message will be certain to reach Lord Barton by river or road, the way from river and to King's Landing must needs take them close by Harunna. The very word seemed to darken the room. Harunna frequented her voice as she said, and mother, do you know what you have done? I have no fear. I left your part out. I brought Jamie had escaped and after a thousand dragons are for his recapture. Worse and worse, Kathleen, though in despair, my brother is a fool, unbeaten and wanted to spare her eyes. If this was an escape, she had something and not an exchange of hostages. Why should the answer give my letters to Brian? It will never come to that. Kingsley will be returned to us. I have made certain of it. Oh, you had made certain is that I shall never see my daughters again. Brian might have gotten him to Kings and safely, so long as no one has anything for them. But now, Kelly could not go on. Leave me, Edmund. She had no right to command him. Here in the castle, that would soon be his. Yet her tongue would brook no argument. Leave me to father and my grief. I have no more to say to you. Go, go. All she wanted was to lie down, to close her eyes and sleep, and pray no dreams would come. The sky was as black as the walls of Oranol behind them, and the rain fell soft and steady, muffling the sound of the horses and wolves and running down their faces. They now rode north, away from the lake, following a rutted farm road across the torn fields, heading to the woods and streams. Arya took the lead, kicking her stolen horse to a brisk and the trot until the trees closing around her, or buying gentry food as best they could. Holes hold off in the distance, and she could hear the boys heavy breathing. No one spoke. From time to time, Maria glanced over her shoulder to make sure the two boys had not fallen too far, far behind, and to see if they were being pursued. They would be, she knew. She had stolen three horses from the stables and the map and the dagger from Rose Bolton's own cellar and killed the guard on the western gate, slitting his throat when he knelt to pick up the gold iron coin that Ken Hagar had given her. Someone would find him lying dead in his own blood. And then the hue and cry. would go up. They would wake Lord Burton and search Arunal from, from Cranel to Cellar, and when they did, they would find the map and the dagger missing, along with some wool from the armory, bread and cheese from the kitchens, a big boy, a apprentice smith, and a cupbearer called Nan. Oh, Wesel, oh, Harry, depending on who you asked. The Lord of the Dreadful would not come up to them himself. Wes Bolton would stay abed. His pasty flesh dotted with the leeches, giving commands in his whispery soft voice. His man, Walton, might lead the hunt. The one they call Steel Shanks for the race 
he always wore on his long legs. Of the apps it would be sloppily vagohood and his cell swords, who named themselves brave companions. Others called them bloody mamas, though never to their faces, and sometimes uh, the footman followed Vago's habit of cutting off the hands and feet of men who displeased him. He they catch us, he'll cut off our hands and feet, Arya thought, and then Bruce Bolton will peel the skin of us. She was still dressed in her page's garb, and on the breast over her heart was soon the button sigil, the fade man of the dead poet. Every time, sigil, every time she looked back, she half expected to see a base of torches pulling out the stone gate upon them, or rushing along the tops of its huge eye walls, but there was nothing. Arunal stepped on until it was thus in darkness and hidden behind the trees. When they crossed the first stream, Arya turned her horse aside and led them off the fall, following the twisting curves of the water for a quarter mile before finally scrambling out and up a stony bank. If the hunters brought dogs, they might throw them off the sand, she hoped. They could not stay on the road. There is death on the road, she told herself. Death on all the roads. Tendry and Hot Pie did not question her choice. She had the map afterward, and Hot Pie seemed almost as terrified of her as of the man who might be coming after them. He had seen the gods she'd killed. It's better if he's scared of me, she told herself. That way he'll do like I say instead of something stupid. She should be more frightened herself, she knew. She was only ten, a skinny girl on a stolen horse with a dark forest ahead or her and a man behind who'd gladly cut off her feet, yet somehow she felt calmer than she ever had in Arena. The rain had washed the gods blood off her fingers, she wore a sword across her back, whose were falling throughout the dark like Leon, grey shadows, and Arya Stark was unafraid. Fear cuts deeper than swords, she whispered under her breath. The words that Sirio Forel had thought her, and she can't words too, but I'm good at it. The rain stopped and started again, stopped there once more and started, but they had good clocks to keep the water off. Arya kept them moving at a slow, steady pace. It was too black beneath the trees to ride any faster. The boys were no horsemen, neither one, as the soft broken ground was treacherous without buried roots and hidden stones. They crossed another road, its deep ruts filled with remorse, but Arya shunned it. Up and down the rolling hills she took them, through hot brimbles and briars and tangles of under brush along the bottoms of narrow gullies where branches heavy with the wet leaves left at her faces as they passed. Trendry smelled as her footing in the mud once, going down hard on her and the quarters and spilling him from the saddle, but neither horse nor rider was hurt, and Trendry got that stubborn look on his face and mounted right up again. Not long after, they came upon three wolves uh, devouring the corpse of a fawn. 
when hard by the oars got the scent. He shed and boarded. Two old wolves fled as well, but the third raised his head and bared his teeth, prepared to defend his skill. Back off, Arya told him, slow, so you don't spoke him. They edged their man's way until the wolf and his fists were no longer in sight. Only then did the swing about right after Otvai, who was clinging desperately to the saddle as he crashed through other trees. Let they pass throughout a burned village, fighting their way carefully between the shells of blackened wolves, held past the bones of those dead men and given from a row of evil trees. When Otvai saw them, he began to pray. A thin whisper plea for the mother's mercy repeated over and over. Ara looked up at the fleshless dead in their wet footing clothes and said their own prayer. So Gregor went dancer for liver wrapped the sweetling the tickler and the hound Saline Sermarin King Jeffrey Queen Sassy. She ended it with the Magudis touched the things, coin were innocent under her belt, and then reached up and plucked an apple from Mount Dharma as she rode beneath them. It was mushy and of a rib, but she ate it once and all. That was the day without dawn. Slowly the sky light handed round them, but they never saw the song. Black turned to grey, and colors crept timidly back into the world. The soldier pines were dressed in somber greens, the border fat leaves in russets and the faded golds already began to brown. They stopped long enough to water the horses and eat a cold, quick breakfast, ripping apart a loaf of the bread that hot pie had stolen from the kitchens and passing chunks of hard yellow cheese from hand to hand. Do you know where we are going? Gentry asked her. North, said Arion, out by peered around, certainly. Which way is north? She used her cheese to point that way. But there's no song. How do you know? From the moss. See how it grows mostly on one side of the trees. That's south. What do we want with the north? Gendry wanted to know. The trident, Arya unrolled the stolen map to show them. That was the day without a dawn. Slowly the sky lightened around them, but they never saw the sun. Black turned to grey, and colors crept timidly back into the wall. The soldiers' spines were dressing somber greens. The um, broad leaves and frosts and faded golds already beginning to brown. They stopped long enough to water he also the horses and eat a cold, quick breakfast, ripping apart a loaf of the bread that the hot pie had stolen from the kitchens and the passing chunks of hard yellow cheese from hand to hand. Do you know where we are going? Gendry asked her. North, said Ariel. Hot pie peered around and searched me. Which way is north? She used her cheese to point that way, but there's nothing. How do you know? From the moss. See how it grows mostly on one side of the trees. That's south. 
what do we do we want with the north Should they wanted to know the trident area unrolled stolen map to show them see once we reach the trident all we need to do is follow it upstream till we can to river on here her finger traced the path it's a long way but we can get lost so long as we keep to the river hot pie blinked at the map which one is riveran riveran was painted as a castle tower in the fork between the flowing blue lines of two rivers the tumblestone and the red fork there she touched it riveran it reads you can read writing he said to her wondering as if she said she could walk on water she nodded We'll be safe once we reach Riveran. We will. Why? Because Riveran is my grandfather's castle and my brother Rob will be there. She wanted to say. She bit her lip and rolled up the map. We just will. But only if we get there. She was the first one back in the saddle. It made her feel bad why the truth from Otpai. But she did not trust him with a secret. Chandri knew, but that was different. Chandri had his own secret, though even he didn't seem to know what it was. That day, Arya quickened their pace, keeping the horses at a trot as long as she dared, and sometimes spurring to a gallop when she spied a flat stretch of field before them. That was sudden enough, though the ground was growing. Iller, Iller, as they went. The ears were not tight, nor especially steep, but there seemed to be no end of them, and they soon grew tired of climbing up one and down the other, and found themselves following the lay of land, along stream banks and throughout a maze of shallow wooden valleys where the trees made a solid canopy overhead. From time to time, she sent Otpah and Chandri on why she doubled back to try to confuse their trail, listening all the while for the first sign of pursuit. Too slow, she thought to herself, chewing her lip. We're going too slow. They'll catch us for certain. Once, from the crest of a ridge, she spied dark shapes crossing a stream in the valley behind them, and for half a hard beast. She feared that those buttons waters were on them. But when she looked again, she realized they were only a pack of wolves. She kept her hands around her mouth and hold her down at them. Aho, aho, when the largest of the wolves lifted his head and rolled back, the sound made Arya shiver. By midday, Hot Pie had begun to complain. His horse was a sore. He told them, and the saddle was rubbing him raw inside his legs. Had besides, he had to get some sleep. I'm so tired and I'm going to fall off the horse. Arya looked at Chandri. If he falls off, who do you think will find him first? The horse or the mamas? The horse, said Chandri. Better noses. Hot Pie opened his mouth and closed it. He did not fall off his horse. The rain began again a short time later. They still had not seen so much as glimpse of the sun. 
It was growing colder and pale with mists were fleeing between uh, the pines and blowing across the bare burned fields. Tony was having almost as bad a time of it as Otpie, though he was too stubborn to complain. He sat awkwardly in the saddle, a determined look on his face beneath his shaggy back hair, but yet I could tell he was no horseman. I should have remembered, she thought to herself. She had been riding as long as she could remember, ponies when she was little and later horses, but Gendry and Artpie were city-born, and in the city small folk walked. Uran had given them mounts when he took them from King's Landing, but sitting on a donkey and flooding up the King's Road behind the wagon was one thing. Guiding a hunting horse throughout wild woods and barren fields was something else. She would make much better time on her own. Arya knew, but she could not leave them. They were a pack, her friends, the only living friends that remained to her, and if not for they, would still be safe at Arena. Drendi is waiting at his forge and out by in the kitchens, if the mama's cat has. I'll tell them that I'm Ned Stocks, daughter and sister to the king in the north. I command them to take me to my brother and to do no harm to heart, pie and gentry. They might not believe her, though. And even if they did, Lord Bottom was her brother's banner man, but he threatened her all the same. I won't let them take us, she vowed silently reaching back over her shoulder to touch the heels of sword that Chandri had stolen for her. I won't. Late the afternoon, they emerged from beneath the trees and found themselves on the banks of the river. Otpai gave a whoop of delight. The trident. Now all we have to do is go upstream. Like you said, we're almost there. Arya chewed her lip. I don't think this is the trident. The river was swollen by the rain, but even so it couldn't be much more than thirty feet across. She remembered the trident as being much wider. It's too little to be the trident, she told them. And we didn't come far enough. Yes, we did, Otopai insisted. We rode all day and hardly stopped at all. We must have come a long way. Let's have a look at the map again, said Chandri. So Percy. Arya dismounted, took out the map, unfolded it. The rain pattered against the sheepskin and ran off in rewards. We are some place here, I think, she said, pointing as the boys peered over her shoulders. But, said Old Pie, that's already any way to See? Arena's there. I just think you're almost touching it, and we rode all day. That's miles and miles before we reached the trident, she said. We won't be there for days. This must be some different river. One of these, see. She showed him some of the thinner blue lines the map maker had painted in, each with a name painted in fine script beneath it. The diary. The green apple, the maiden. Here, this one. The little willow. It might be that. 
What pie looked from the lime to the river? It doesn't look so little to me. Gentle was falling as well. The one you are pointing at falls into that other one. See. The big willow, she read. The big willow, that. See. And the big willow runs into the trident so we could follow the one to the other. But we need to go downstream, not up. Only if this river isn't little willow. If it's this other one here. Ripple down wheel. I read. See. It loops around. That flows down toward the lake, back to Arno. It traced the line with a finger. What pies? Eyes grew wide. No, they'll kill us for sure. We have to know which river this is, declared Gendry in this stubbornest voice. We have to know. Well, we don't. The map might have names written beside the blue lines, but no one had written a name on the riverbank. We won't go up or downstream, she decided, rolling the map. We'll cross and keep going north, like we were. Can also swim? asked Otpai. It looks deep, Ariel. What if there are snakes? Are you sure we are going north? asked Gendry. All these eels. If we got to turn around the moss on the trees. He pointed to a nearby tree. The trees got moss on three sides. And the next one has no moss at all. It could be lost. Just right around in a circle. It could be, said Arya. But I'm going to cross the river anyway. You can come or you can stay here. She climbed back into the saddle, ignoring the both of them. If they didn't want to follow, they could find river on their own. Though, more likely, the mamas would just find them. She had to ride a good half mile along the bank before she finally found a place where it looked as though it might be safe to cross, and even then, her mare was reluctant to enter the water. The river, whatever its name, was running brown fast, and the deep bog in the middle came up past the horse's belly. Water filled her boots, but she passed in her heels, all the same and climbed out on the far bank. From behind, she heard splashing, and the mares and nebulos winning. They followed them. Good. She turned to watch as the boys struggled across and emerged dripping beside her. It wasn't the trident, she told them. It wasn't. The next route was shallower and easier to ford. That one wasn't the trident either, and no one argued with her when she told them they would cross it. Dusk was settling as they stopped to rest the horses once more and share their meal of bread and cheese, and cold and wet. Hot pie complete. We are a long way from Arenal now, for sure. We could have us a fire. No. Arya and Gendry both sat. In the exact same instant, Hot pie quailed a little. Arya gave Gendry a sideways look. He said it with me. Like John used to do back in Winterfell. She missed John's Snow the most of all her brothers. Could we sleep at us? What by asked? I'm so tired, Harry, and my arse is sore. 
I think I've got blisters. You have more than that if you are cough. She said. We have got to keep going. We have got to. But it's almost dark and you can't even see the moon. Very dark. Get back on your horse. Floating along at a slow walking pace, pace as the light faded around them, I have found where her own exertion waiting a or longer. She needed sleep as much as old pie, but they dare not. If they slept, they might open their eyes to find Vago Ort standing over them with the shagwell, the full and faithful or um, squeak and roared and biter and subdued and all his other monsters. Yet after a while, the motion of her horse became as soothing as the rocking or of a cat, uh, the rocking of a cradle. And Arya found her eyes going easy. She let them close, just for an instant, then snapped them wide again. I can't go out to sleep, she screamed at herself silently. I can't, I can't. She knuckled at her eye and rubbed her ear hard to keep it open, clutching the reins tightly and kicking her mouth to a counter. But neither she nor the horse could sustain the pace, and it was only a few moments before they fell back to a walk again and a few more until her eyes closed a second time. This time they did not open quite so quickly. When they did, she found that her horse had come to stop and was nibbling at a tuft of grass while Gendry was shaking her arm. You fell asleep, he told her. I was just resting my eyes. You were resting them a long while then. Your horse was wandering in a circle, but it wasn't till she stopped that I realized that you were sleepy. Hot boy is just as bad. He rode into a tree limb and got knocked off. You should have heard him yell. If that didn't wake you up, you needed to stop and sleep. I can keep going as long as you can, she joined. Liar, he said. You keep going if you want to be stupid, but I'm stopping. I'll take the pistol watch. You sleep. What about Hot Pie? Jenry pointed. Hot Pie was already on the ground, curled up beneath his clock, on a bed of dumb leaves and snoring softly. He had a big wedge of cheese in one fist, but it looked as though he had fallen asleep between bites. It was no good arguing, Aria realized. Gendry had the right of it. The mamas we need to sleep too, she told herself, hoping it was true. She was so weary, it was a struggle even to get down from the saddle. But she remembered to open the oars before finding a place beneath a beech tree. The ground was hard and damp. She wondered. Dead, how long it would be before she slept in bed again with hot food and fire to warm here to form her. Last thing she did before closing her eyes was unsheath her sword and lay it down beside her. Sir Gregor, she whispered, joining. 
Thompson, Bolivar, Rob the Swilling, the thick Ridicular and the Tickler beyond. Her dreams were red and savage. The mammals were in them, four at least. A pale Vizani and a dark brutal salmon from Ibi. The scarlet Thraki Oars, Lord Colored Eagle and a Dornishman whose name she never knew. On and on they came riding throughout rain and frosty mail and wild leather, swords and dogs clanking against their saddles. They thought they were antenna. She knew with all the strange, sharp certainty of dreams, but they were wrong. She was haunting them. She was no little girl in the dream. She was a wolf, huge and powerful, and when she emerged from beneath the trees in front of them and bared her teeth in a low rumbling growl, she could smell the wrong stench of fear for all the men alike. The descending mound reared and screamed in terror, and the others shouted, one another in mantle, but before they could act, the other wolves came ordained from the darkness and the rain, a great pack of them, gallant and wet and silent. The fight was short of booty. The airy man went down as he unslung his axe. The dark one died, stringing an arrow, and the pale man from his tried to bolt. Her brothers and sisters ran him down turning him again and again, coming at him from all sides, thumping the legs of his oars and tearing the sword from the rider when he came crashing to the heart. Only the bad man stood his ground, his oars kicked in the head of one of her sisters, and he cut another almost enough with his curved silvery claw as his hair tinkled softly. Filled with rage, she leaped onto his back, Knocking him head first from his saddle. Her jaws locked on his arm as they fell, her teeth sinking throughout beneath her and wool and soft flesh. When they landed, she gave a savage jerk with her head and ripped the limb loose from his shoulder. Exulting, she shook it back and forth in her mouth, scattering the warm, dry droplets amidst the cold black rain.